Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zwei Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. I'm excited to be with you as always. And it's always good to just connect with people that I've talked to online for any period of time. And and, uh, this next guest is certainly no exception to that. One of the things that I've really taken away from doing this Zweig Letter Podcast over Man, I'm losing track of the years now, but what, 2016 to 20? It's been almost eight years now, 230 plus episodes of the podcast. And I have to say that I've learned so much in doing this podcast, both when it was originally me and Mark Zweig, and then when I started inviting other people on the podcast, like this next guest. And so one of the things that I've tried to do is really interact with those in the design industry space that are not only doing interesting things, because I think we, Everybody's doing interesting things in the design industry space, but I think it's important to amplify as many voices as possible. And so that's one of the reasons why I have our next guest on today to join us on the Zweig Letter Podcast. The other reason why I have this person on is because he is kind of always shooting his shot, if you will. If any of you know that Hamilton reference, this individual was would write notes on the sidelines of all of Mark Zweig's Zweig letter articles that he writes each and every week. And so I took note of this a while back and I was like, who, who's this young upstart writing all these notes uh, to Mark and commenting? And it was always good, insightful commentary. And so, you know, what they say is if you have something to say, you really should say it. And I'm actually really thankful. And, and in all seriousness, I'm very thankful that Kyle Sharangi is or Chiranji is the is our guest today. He is a department manager in South Florida with HNTV and just I mean I, I mean he's smart as a whip and I said I had to have him on the podcast. We had a chance to talk a couple of weeks back and you know I shared with him the conversation that I wanted to have which was really simply a conversation of encouragement for the young professionals in the design industry space. I hope this podcast goes wide and far in terms of 
encouraging the young people that are in this space, both engineers and architects, to really step up and shoot your shot and not uh, wait for somebody to invite you to the table, but grab a chair and come sit at the table because there's room for all of us. And so uh, without further ado, I know that's a long preamble, Kyle, but I wanted to thank you again for coming on the Zweig Letter podcast and, and joining us today. How are you doing? No, thank you, Randy. That was a really interesting introduction. Yeah, those Zweig letters, like I said, I told you I've, I've been reading them for years and there's always something good in them. And I don't know what was the uh, the ballsy move about it, but I always just thought that more people should read it. And I knew that LinkedIn was a place that would, would sort of get that traction if it looked like something attractive. So I think and I've, I've gotten notes from people there. They have signed up to read it. And um, yeah, Mark Zweig's section always has something good. There's, if, and I think I told you last time, if you want to stay at least sharp about the issues in, on, in the AAC industry, like this is the, the resource that I have. Um, I, I don't know of many others that are weekly and, and now have as good information in it as this Zweig letter. So I appreciate that just from a resource for myself. And like I said, if other people can benefit from it, I hope they do. And if my commentary helps them think more, uh, same thing. I hope, I hope they, they get some benefit from that. Yeah. So thank you. No, absolutely. No, my pleasure, man. And I was, I mean, I, I know it sounds a little tongue in cheek humor, but I was very mm-hmm. serious about just the simple fact that you did step out and, you know, not necessarily assert yourself, but just share what your thoughts were and what your feelings were. And I know Mark, personally, he has appreciated it because actually he and I have talked about you and mm-hmm. he said, yeah, that guy is really, really sharp. He's going to be running a firm one day at some point in time. And, you know, oh, Mark, you. Mark has always been astute at identifying talent and identifying individuals who will be able to take the next step in their career. But, you know, I firmly believe that's a lot of your peers out there in the industry. But so that we can just back up a little bit and make sure that everybody completely appreciate you and and your perspective and and what you're bringing to the table as you are working through things. Just tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background, Kyle. And and were were you did you always want to be an engineer? Yeah, so I, I went to school in Trinidad and in Trinidad, you sort of, you pick topics right around 13 or 14 that you do O levels and A levels on, uh, which is the, the British system of, of their high school. Um, so I picked technical drawing, physics, electronics, we call it physical geography. So topics sort of geared towards what I could see would, would get me into civil engineering, sort of on the advice of a friend, a friend of mine. So we both sort of followed that path. So yeah, really early on, I did think I would end up being at least some sort of engineering or, or, or at least building things. So once I finished high school, um, I got to the last grade in high school in Trinidad. And then I immigrated to the States and finished my last year of high school here. And I went to FAU, went right into a uh, Bachelor's of Civil Engineering, graduated in 2011 with that degree. And I went to work for a mid-sized firm in, in uh, West Palm Beach. And if you remember back in 2011, the, the market was not great back then. Yeah. Getting any sort of position was was challenging, and I know people either went to Illinois or they went back into their master's program. So I was lucky enough to, to start working on a really great group and built a good foundation of technical skills at that firm. Took that right now to where I am at HNTV. But yeah, I've always wanted to build things. I was I grew up playing with Lego, a Lego kid. Knew that I wanted to be able to to just see things being constructed. So it's it's sort of always been in the past. When I was growing up, I remember. My dad was building our house, so I was always as part, just kind of around when they were doing construction. So I don't know where else I would have ended up. Is I think where I'm where I'm going with this. I don't. I'm not sure what other field I would have ended up in. Yeah. And then I went to do my uh, my MBA at UF back in uh, 2018, 2019. 
Okay. Because I knew I needed that next level of skill after my uh, my technical degree, just to see you know what else is there. And and the MBA was such a great program because I get I got to see sort of like the possibilities in the world. I was in school with anyone from being in the healthcare industry and in sales to people that dealt with you know importing marble from Brazil. So I got to see all of these different professions, and I still I still love engineering. So I stuck with engineering, and this is where I am right now. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's a great story, and, and certainly you and you and I spoke originally. You know, we talked about a the importance of education, the importance of reading. You know, kind of setting yourself up for success long term, right? And certainly, yeah. I think for some, not all. But for some, the path to career growth and, and other opportunities is certainly to get a well-rounded education. And when you go from the technical nature and aspect of specifically civil engineering or architecture to getting that well-rounded business education that an MBA offers, it certainly gives you, as they say, a lot of tools in your tool belt to use on a regular basis, both on projects specifically, but also as you interact with clients, as you engage clients, as you kind of develop new ideas to meet the needs of the marketplace from a design perspective, it just gives you a much stronger foundation to work from. And I'm not sure what it was about marketing class, but I fell in love with the marketing class at, at UF. We don't have any of that exposure as engineers and going through school. So that class just kind of really opened open my eyes into things like what are our differentiators on a job? What are you actually using to stand out? You know, marketing is not a hope. There's a strategy and there's positioning behind it. So yeah, that was one of my favorite classes doing the MBA. And then other courses like accounting, I started understanding, okay, what goes into a P&L financing? What is the weighted active average cost of cash for an endeavor? So like you said, it just opens up your eyes. You were a technical person. You're just kind of drilling down on the project and you're hearing all these terms, gross margin, where you lost money, we, we didn't make money. But now you can understand when you see in the, on the back end, okay, how did we market that job? What was our, actually our margin on the project? And you start thinking about operationally, what we can improve on in the future. So yes, the whole breadth of, of what it takes to run a business really is put into your eyes and on the forefront when you do that MBA. So yeah. You can see some of that comes out in the letters and my markups. I just start thinking about that stuff, particularly with uh, Mark's articles, because, yeah, he is very business driven and business focused with his letters. Not There's nothing technical about well, what his writing does. But yeah, those those letters really bring that out. It's like I think start clicking a little bit more. And you, like I said, you just keep just keep thinking about it and just keep really in the game and, and focused and engaged on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's I think it's what happens is it, it's like with anything, your understanding is is a form of a muscle. And the more that you work on that muscle and the more that you exercise it, right? Through critical yeah. thought, through reasoning, through, you know, just looking at concepts and determining whether or not it does make sense in relationship to what you're doing within your profession. I mean, all of that plays a part. And again, like I said, I just looking at the back and forth and also just the comments that you would elicit from multiple posts on LinkedIn in your response to many of Mark's articles, I always found, I found really interesting. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to, in our show notes, link to a few of those, or at least encourage people to follow you on LinkedIn so that they can get a little insight as well. And, and if for no other reason, I think it's valuable, especially for some of some of us older heads in the design industry space to look at what the young people are doing, right? Because I don't, I think I told you this, but when we spoke, I don't think that I would have I would have seen somebody at your same level about 10 years in, a decade into the industry plus, 
and I'm, I know I'm shortchanging you a year or two there, mm-hmm. but like a full decade's worth of experience in the industry. If I look back to look at your peer back in 1997, 98, 99, I don't know that they would have had those same interactions. The industry was just different, right? A lot of times people were in places where it was like, don't speak until spoken to. And, you know, I mean, it should, should just be head down, get, get in your cubicle and get the work done. And that's it. And it's changed a lot. And I'm curious to know, because this is kind of the direction that I wanted to take this conversation. Mm-hmm. What are your peers, your people that are your age range and younger saying about the design industry and what they need to be successful? You know, I'm actually hearing, and I comment on this every once in a while, I'm hearing a lot of concern about work-life balance more than I hear about what people need to be successful. I know that's counterintuitive question, but I'm, I'm actually kind of concerned about that sometimes? Yeah. Are, are people actually trying to plan out their career? I see one or two folks that, that do it. And a lot of uh, all the folks in my group, they're on point right now. And it's sometimes it's just, you know, the reps that you need, either through a pursuit, people want to, people need to get their public speaking developed to be able to go and present. But the progression from engineer to PM, maybe to a higher level manager, that's a pretty defined path, right? You, you need to be able to do the work first. I always say that's your first Zero to three years, like you need to get as technically proficient as possible in your kip, in your discipline. Because if you don't know what you're designing, you're not going to be able to price it and then you're not going to be able to sell it. So there's a pretty defined path there to, that everyone here is on. So three to zero to three, get your technical, technical skills in line. And that's, that's always being developed, but zero to three, I don't want people focusing on much else. You just focus on that three to five. You know, you're starting to become a task lead. People can see, okay, if you have gaps in different technical areas, maybe you need to do more plant production, maybe you need, maybe you need more design. So that's three to five years. And then starting to branch out into a task leader. From five to 10 years, we will try to develop task leader to PM, right? And that's happened here with several people. So you still have your technical skills. So now we can be able to price the project. And then you'll be able to present and present the presentation skills right around eight to 10 years, I think is the path to, to get there. But even though I have that path outlined for in my mind, in between there, I've seen, and like I said, people are more concerned about the balance of, of their lives to work during that time. That's what I'm seeing a lot more of, actually. Yeah. And do you think that's just, is it a generational thing? Is it just... What do you think is fueling that concept or, or that idea? And, I, and again, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not knocking it one way or the other. I certainly, I do believe that everybody deserves to have me time, right? And, mm-hmm. and time yeah. to reflect and time to kind of- There are macro factors pushing on that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. There are, there are a lot of macro factors. And I wrote, I wrote an article about this that was, that was pulling out these different factors in society that I think are creating this- um, this challenge with it and anything from social media usage, mm-hmm. what were the other ones? Distrust in, in standard media formats, the reduction in um, people's proclivity to have a family, I think is one of them because yep. that, that creates a, you know, it, it reduces the need for stability and careers provide stability. And there were some other factors, you know, as far as inflation, people are seeing their, their money inflated away. So it's like, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. But it's not working for me. And yeah, and you have to remember, the people that are you know zero to five years right now, their first half part of their career was COVID. Yeah, right. <laughs> they worked from home. They may not have gotten the direct mentorship, and then we came back to the office, and everybody expected things to go back to normal. So there needs to be an understanding that 
people had a totally different start to their career that we need to recognize is different. So, and that's sort of like, you need to have compassion with that. You need to have empathy with those folks, but there are several factors pushing on this. Yeah. So are you guys fully back in the office a hundred percent or do you offer a, like a flexible work environment? And I, the reason why we're flexible. Yeah. We're flexible. But for design heavy stuff, I feel like you have to be in the office. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be able to talk to your peers. So when we have sessions of, like I said, if, if someone wants to work from home, we don't have a problem with that. And I don't have a problem with it either. But sometimes you feel the need. Like if you're, if you're working on something with your team, the best arrangement is with your team member right outside your door, right outside your, your, on the cube next to you. So we are flexible with that. But I think the real hard stuff, it, you need to be together to do it. Yeah. And we do a lot of really hard projects, right? Yeah, no, I, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. I know I heard Scott Galloway talk about this. I follow him and, and he has the Prof G podcast and a few others. And he's also uh, the co-host of, what is it? My gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now with uh, Pivot. Oh, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, he's on a couple of podcasts. He's a, he's a real a solid a marketing professor from the NYU yeah. School of yeah. Business. And he does a lot of other things. He's started a number of businesses. But one of the things that he said was, for young people nowadays, one of the surefire ways of advancement is being in the office. And he, he said his advice would be to any young person, or if he had a child that was of work age, he would say, hey, you need to be in there face-to-face with your manager and other leaders in order to put yourself on a faster path of growth within any organization right now. Even though we have come out of the pandemic with a much more malleable work environment when it comes to remote work and all of that, would you agree with that statement that he made in terms of you know the FaceTime really is truly important to grow and advance in a career? Because we have we have an office right now. I'm in, I'm in Fort Lauderdale, and we have an office in Miami. And it takes effort to get those two teams to even even though everyone is in the office. You have people in the office in Miami, people in the office in Fort Lauderdale. They work on projects together. It takes some effort even to get those teams together, right? Mm-hmm. So people are fully engaged at both offices, and it still takes a lot of thinking on coordination between events, right? Who's going to do what? So imagine if you had a person that was home trying to coordinate with a person that's in the office on the team. And what I find like that, even right there, so you're at home, you already have your distractions at home. Yeah. And like I said, I don't want to knock it. I know it's not cool to knock it. But when you're doing really hard things, you, I feel like you have to be together. Just like the professor Scott Gallo said, like just to have that FaceTime. I have, we have one intern in Miami and I love the guy. He's great. He's here while he's in school. And I call him, I call him when he's here just to be able to keep that connection because I want him to keep engaged with the team, right? If he was here in the office, even better. So it takes a, another level of thinking that you don't just bump into people. Like we have whiteboards around our office that if somebody's thinking of something, you'll be like, okay, let's go draw it up on our whiteboard. We draw on our windows. So there's a lot of interaction that just happens through, uh, through osmosis that you can't replicate through the digital medium. Yeah, it's hard. And even with all of the great tools like Slack and so many others that allow, allow for inter-office communication and the like, it's still, there really isn't any substitute for that face-to-face, kneecap-to-kneecap connection with folks because it just allows, it just, you know, some things do get lost in translation. So, and maybe- Yeah, that's my opinion. Maybe there are teams out there that work fantastically doing it, but what I've found for like design intense work where people need to be able to cooperate, cooperation is best done in person. Yeah. 
It is. It definitely is. And I'd be interested to hear what other listeners of the podcast think about that. And and certainly we, you know, our goal always with the Zweig Letter podcast is to extol the virtues and benefits of the Zweig Letter, which is one of the longest running newsletters in the design industry space where you get actually a lot of different thought leaders that come together and write mm-hmm. about, you know, the industry and write about the ins and outs of what's working, what isn't working. And, you know, from a, a, a management consulting perspective, folks from the Zwei Group are able to kind of give a bird's eye view of how the industry can continue to improve while also amplifying those industry voices that are trying to make those improvements. So it's kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a unique opportunity, I think, to hear from different voices and to get the perspectives of what's really working in this industry. Because, and this is the other thing that you and I talked about is too often, I think, and this even happens with young people, I think sometimes what's lost with the younger generation is how important their role is as a design professional. And I don't know if you remember, we talked about like, I would always start out a lot of my leadership trainings with the fact that, hey, what you guys do is so intrinsically important. I mean, you are responsible, you being the engineers and architects that I would train or talk to, you guys are responsible for the built environment. And I know you and I talked about that. I'd be curious to know how that whole concept has never been lost with you as far as how you approach your profession and your career. Like I mentioned, I I was very fortunate to start where I started. That was a very design-intense firm. So the importance and the the significance of being at EOR was never lost to me. It was day one. This is something to strive towards because it is something worth doing and worth doing well. So it it, it was just never a question of whether or not it was important. And I worked under a manager that I still think was one of the best engineers in, in Florida in general. Very intense, very uh, very technical project manager. But he was one of the best. And he would explain things in a way that you project yourself into the field, whether it be on a, you look at the set of plans. So you, we were always thinking like an EOR, always thinking like an engineer. So I, it, just, it was just never a thought of not doing it. So it's always been a significance. I mean, South Florida... And the, the client we work for in particular is, is extremely active. So there are projects always ongoing. So we see the fruits of our labor pretty quickly within, you know, two or three years. You can see a job start construction, get to some significant completion level. So you're always going to see your work out there. So it, maybe other places, the, the projects are slower. So maybe that isn't, you don't get the reps in. I talked about the reps of being out of anything. Maybe other states, they don't do as many projects as quickly. So, but here in South Florida, it's very rapid. There's a lot of projects. They happen quickly. The client is very sophisticated. The client is very efficient in how they put projects out. So you're always thinking about signing and sealing and making sure that you are upholding your duty to the public. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, and it's something to be said for several states in the country where the growth is always happening. I mean, Florida, there's always something uh, being built yeah. and, and there's always growth in Florida. Texas is another state. I mean, Texas was like that in the 90s when I was working with mm-hmm. a company that primarily did a lot of work with TxDOT. And even to this day, I mm-hmm. mean, TxDOT, I'm always amazed at how quickly things get put together. And it's kind of a testament to some of those markets where in some of the other maybe mature places, it doesn't always happen as quickly as they would in some some of these newer locales. And so, I mean, there's something to be said for maybe even thinking about working in places where you can get uh, more exposure 
to more types of work on faster timetables because it does open up the door for a lot of new knowledge and a lot of new understanding about, you know, how things fit into place. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a roadway and a highway designer, right? I think this industry, because of the cadence of projects, produces some of the best project managers, some of the most technical engineers, not just because I'm here, but because of, of what I see, what I see people here can do. And I gave, a, um, I gave a presentation to FAU, and I'm going to do it down at FIU in a couple of months. But it's two students. And my, my recommendation to the first bullet point of that slide in your zero year, right? Find a place where you can be techni- become, get that technical proficiency early. Because again, I see people get past that phase, Randy, and they try to sort of backtrack and learn stuff. And I, I don't think it's, I've never really seen it happen very well because you get so far ahead in years of experience, right? That it's hard to go back to that stage. This stage is very intense, right? This zero to three stage, it should be intense. At least it was for me. Yeah. It was a very intense time of learning for me and it paid off, right? Cause I don't have to like go back and figure out how to think about design anymore. So that stage is so important. If you get to like nine years and then you try to go back and learn what you should have learned at four or three or five years, it's really hard on people. So my recommendation to, to young students, if you want to do engineering and you don't want to do um, maybe administration or, or work at, at some a slower office or something like that, find a place where you can get technical proficiency as early as possible. That's my first recommendation. That's, like I said, bullet point zero is get as technically proficient as quickly as possible. Yeah. So it bleeds into everything else. You, you learn how to think about other things. You learn how to organize thoughts in your head. Like loading, it sounds kind of weird, but loading design data into your head is taxing. To sit down and design something, like figure out the relationship between a horizontal alignment, the profile, and a cross-section is an intense mental exercise. It takes a lot of calories from your brain. So when you start doing that, if you're at the stage of your career where you're getting five emails a day or five emails an hour about all kinds of issues, and you have to worry about putting together a presentation or a marketing pursuit or personnel issues, you can never get the concentration required to get good at that. So you have to do it while you have nothing else going on. This your zero to three years. You're 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 coming in as a design a designer. Do the design and try and get as many reps in there as possible and get good at it quickly. Yeah, you know I you know Mark Zweig has always told me he told me at the beginning when I first joined and I think I had mentioned that to you that he said it's going to take you three years just to learn the industry to understand yeah, the yeah, nomenclature yeah. to understand the language. It's you know, the design industry has a language all its own. And I think you have to kind of embrace that. What are, and we, t- we kind of talked about this before, but we talked about the importance of kind of constantly always be learning, if you will, yeah. if I can say it that way. But I know you like to read. I have a pretty voracious appetite when it comes to reading both mm-hmm. physical books. I'm on Audible all the time. I have a regular subscription to that. So when I'm not physically reading a book, I'm listening to a book. But talk about the importance of reading and how that's actually helped you considerably yeah. in your career. So when I, when I started engineering, I was not very good. I'm going to be the first person to say, I think I even wrote it somewhere. I was not good at this, right? So I needed to find ways to become better. And that started with, first thing was reading, and the next thing was actually writing. So reading all of the books that everybody reads when they want to learn how to interact people. It's, you know, how to win friends and influence people. It's classic. Um, classic books like that. Uh, there are other books on persuasion that are really good. Books like Influence are, I think, foundational. And I actually have five books that I think all 
young engineers to read. I'll give you that after. But Influence is a good book. Once you start thinking about how to market yourself and market your product and your, and your career. So yeah, picking up those books and I, I same thing. I, when I didn't have a big book budget, I would look, search the name of the book and search PDF or go to the library and borrow the book. And I always had a couple books around, just something to read. Like you said, if you're not doing something, pick the book up. I probably have two books in my bag right now and just have a, in, like I said, an insatiable appetite just for knowledge. Just it could be anything. Sometimes it's junk. Sometimes I, I would rent a, I would get a, you know, maybe a, a graphic novel from the library. I used to, I used to like to read that stuff as well. So just, but just stay in the flow of it. Just keep that habit going. And eventually you will get bored with everything else. And the reading will become sort of the thing that you do when you want something to do. Yeah. That's my opinion there. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I think I mentioned to you, and this is something I, I share with anyone that will listen that Pew Research did a study that like 68% of college graduates never pick up a book after post-graduation, which I think is astounding. That means there's only 32% of us that are actually reading with any regularity whatsoever. So, and when I think about how detailed and how uh, nuanced being a design engineer is, you know, my thought would simply be, man, I hope that that 32% includes all design <laughs> professionals, right? But it yeah, may not. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> you see, the, the thing about, and I think I said this somewhere, is like, what we do, it has to be practiced. Yeah. yeah you could go through the classes and all, and all those things, but you have to practice designing. Like I said, you have to load them. From, you have to know what it feels like to load that information into your brain. People are going to think I sound weird, but it, that's what it feels like. It feels like you... You're putting this up in the brain and you can work it out in your head. And if somebody calls you, interrupts you, it just disappears. So you may not need to read to become a good design professional, but if you want to become a good AEC professional, you probably need to be reading. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you are seeing on the ground that's enabling a lot of, a lot of the younger design professionals to find success in this space right now, currently? You know, I th- I think there are so many opportunities out there, Randy. It's, it's, it's hard not to find a good opportunity right now because of the funding from the federal government. Yeah. There are just so many projects, people like myself, people like people that work, work, work for me. They're in such high demand. They almost don't have to do anything to, to get a raise, right? You can have a recruiter reach out to you and you can get a 25% raise. Yeah. It's pretty simple. It is sometimes people just, they want to take a chance on somebody because they are so strapped for talent that maybe it's spoiling people into they don't actually have to do anything to get better. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe that's not the best thing. But I'm I'm seeing that people just they don't they don't really have by just being in the industry, you're getting a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Because people are just it's so aggressive out there, particularly in the transportation space. That's where a lot of funding is going. The aggression for talent means that you don't really have to you can be just anybody and you may be able to find a job. The really good people they never, they always do their own thing. Either they're, they're reading like about project management techniques. They're trying to, and I may be one of the crazy ones. Like I do some of this stuff. I do it all the time. Like I'm a complete nerd about spreadsheets. Right. Yeah. And I was telling, I was telling one of, a, one of the, the girls that work with me that I was obsessing over a spreadsheet about my budget. So maybe it's just an eight. Maybe you just kind of engineer the hell out of everything. But yeah, I don't think folks have to do much to get good. Some of the things that I do see are really beneficial are joining engineering societies like ASCE, mm-hmm. FES, ITE. These societies have a great reach. You learn sort of the landscape of professionals in your area really well. 
I wish I had joined one of these organizations earlier on. But if, if you're a young professional and you're, and you're trying to, to find a place to start and grow really quick, find one of, those, one of those organizations and get involved with them, become an officer, go through their program if you can. That's a huge leg up for someone like myself who's never been through it. Yeah. And, and a lot of those programs, I mean, ASC specifically, because I've done trainings for them, you know, they'll, they'll provide opportunities for you to develop and kind of build on the skill sets that you want to build on, like presenting properly, like communication public speaking, all of that plays into it. Cause I've actually done a several public speaking trainings with folks from uh, ASCE and it's, it's always been one of the more popular trainings because let's face it. I mean, for anybody, I don't care whether you're a design professional or not, public speaking is one is, you know, people would, would rather die than speak publicly. Yeah. So yeah. if you are willing to exercise that muscle of getting in front of people and sharing your thoughts or ideas or concepts or even things that you're currently working on in the design industry space. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in a way that keeps the peep, the attention of your audience you've won. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. it makes a huge difference. And I'm sure you've seen that Kyle, as you have grown in your career and you now have people that are under you that you're responsible for. And I mean, Pete, you've developed and understood how to put a message together that will resonate with the widest audience possible or specifically whatever audience you're specific, you're talking to at that moment. And, and that's the importance of learning how to communicate effectively. Yeah. And it's such a simple hurdle to, at least that's what I've seen. I've had people, um, not just engineers, they've told me that they're terrified of public speaking. But then when I see them get up in front of our group, it's like, and they ask me after, how did I do? I'm like, you did, you did great. What were you scared about? So it's this, that initial hurdle of, of trying, I th- I think maybe in the public zeitgeist, people are supposed people think they're supposed to be afraid of public speaking. Yeah. Maybe they just need to throw that idea away because I've seen people get up and give presentations, and it's like, what were you scared of? Yeah, you were a hundred percent fine. Maybe they just think they need to be scared as part of whatever is in society. But I see people do fine with it all the time. Yeah. Well, you know what they say: you are what you say. If you say all the time that you know I'm deathly afraid of it, then you are going to be so. You're going to be afraid of it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things I would encourage design professionals to consider, and and this is not, you know, a far flung idea and not a, not an original one, but certainly Toastmasters can be really beneficial. You can probably work out most Toastmasters meet, a lot of them meet either in the evening or a lot of them meet during the lunch hour. So, and I know some companies, some design firms that have had built their own Toastmaster chapter within their organization just so that they could help push some of the younger people along and develop that skill set. Because once you develop it, once you are able to take an idea and you feel comfortable just off the top of your head, having a conversation about it, which is what they do with like the table topics exercise that Toastmasters does, man, once you've done that, then, you know, it's game on. And then maybe if you add a little, just sprinkle a little improvisation in there and you Mm -hmm. learn to be improvisational with your thought, as well as with the ideas that you're, you're sharing. Oh, it's all over. I mean, you you'll have your yeah. clients eating out of your hand. I mean, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, in South Florida, it's very, very competitive. Mm-hmm. Everybody here is good at it. So it's it, you have to go that far and then polish up even a little bit more. But yeah, for another avenue for people trying to practice, maybe we've have had had folks give presentations at a lunch and learn, even in the office, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe a group of your peers are easier to present in front of. You can, you know, maybe mumble a little things and be fine. 
So that's another avenue. If you don't do directly Toastmasters, put together a small presentation and give it to your group. I encourage people to do that all the time here. Just as another avenue to develop that skill. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And that's the low hanging fruit, the easy way for you to do it and introduce it to a wide audience. You mentioned recruitment, you mentioned retention, I mean, well, specifically recruitment and how important it is in this space. Mm-hmm. That's not going away. Where, do you see any solution outside of just encouraging like every other high school kid to go into architecture or engineering in college so that more matriculate through mm-hmm. higher education and then are available in the marketplace? What is your hope for, for what, what's going to happen in the next five or 10 years? Because I got to tell you, every design firm owner that I talk to is really concerned about, the, about, that. about that. Yeah, so you're right about the uh, number of people. Like uh, the past three years or so, I think the number of EI registrants have been pretty flat. Mm-hmm. So that's not a really great sign to me. Again, the same number of people, but more money is flooding into this industry. So that's not the best sign. If, you, if you're not, so the EI, you go EI and MPE. So if you're not developing more EIs, are you going to have more a growing number of professional engineers? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think there is a way to get maybe more of the administrative tasks trained up to other disciplines. I don't think you know things like invoicing, progress reporting. There's things that you can get other folks into the business involved in because it is a great business to be in. Like we see a lot of uh, a lot of success with having our uh, project controls people help on projects to to sort of relieve that burden from the PM. So someone that can, you know, help you manage your schedule, help you manage your pursuits, those sort of ancillary functions help free up the project managers to do more work. And then, yeah, I think, again, maybe it goes back to what's out in society. Maybe there needs to be less of a, of a thought that this is a really difficult thing to do from, you know, all of the things that get in the way when people think about engineering. Oh, it must be a lot of math you do every day. Oh, it must be really hard. Oh, you must be really smart. All those things that get in people's head before they even decide to join, I think, need to be overcome. At the high school level, at the middle school level, there are, there needs to be, I think, you know, maybe organizations like ASC maybe need to be doing more at those levels to encourage high school students, middle school students to get on the path towards engineering, to at least think of it in their field. Because I don't think a lot of people are even thinking of it, right? The, the people that get into it, like I said, the numbers are the same. So what have we been doing to encourage more people to enter the field over the past however many years? Yeah. Why are the numbers the same? You know, other fields are growing. Is it because, again, going back to the macro factors, are other fields more attractive? Are people just not going to school, to colleges anymore at all? I think that's actually a thing as well. I think FAFSA saw the, a huge dip in their funding applications last year. Yeah. So maybe less people are going to school. But there is a systemic problem that needs to be addressed at varying levels. From our level down to maybe even down to elementary school, maybe middle school and high school is a good place to start targeting people. And I think the industry, I think the industry can step in and create programs to help with that. Maybe collaborate around one of these organizations and really try to fund a, a, a more consistent effort to influence even within the area. Right, South Florida is huge, but the firms here, everybody knows each other. Can we fund the program that that really gets into each high school or as many high schools as possible? to encourage engineers to to encourage students to even get into engineering to help that systemic problem. Yeah, I think it has to be a concerted effort. And I do see it. I would say it's more piecemeal than anything that's so cohesive that you can go to any part of the country and see it replicated. And that that is the problem. I've seen bits and pieces of what's possible. But until we start reaching 
the young kids, even in second and third grade, to articulate the value of being an engineer in society or the value of being an architect in society and what they actually do. We're going to miss out on developing the interest in this space at a young age so that when by the time they get to high school, they're already in their minds. They're like, well, I'm, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to I'm going to go build roads like Kyle or yes, yeah. I'm going to build yeah. buildings like, you know, fill in the blank a structural engineer. So I think that's yeah. important. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I'm always encouraging companies when and where possible, give back in your especially in your local marketplace, if no other place and do that, because I think the payback will be tremendous long term. It's a long term play. It's not something yeah. that is going to satisfy your needs in the next two to three years. But it's also because we've been ignoring it for like a generation a or term. more. We've been ignoring it for the long term. right? Exactly. So now we've got to kind of play catch up and, and figure some things out. So but uh, it, the, the possibilities are there. And as I say, engineers and architects are extremely smart individuals. They can figure it out. It's just a matter of do they have the willpower to do what's necessary to continue furthering the industry? Yeah. And yeah, I know there's a lot of hope around AI. I kind of take the human side of that bet and say that, you know, engineers are not going to be replaced. I mean, it is a bet, right? Nobody knows. Yeah. But I'll take the human side of the bet and say we're not going to. I will say that it is an extremely useful tool, I think, for training. I use it all the time, honestly, yep. just to ask questions. I think I posted once. About a, I think it was a conversation I was having with AI. I asked it questions, it provided responses, asked it follow up, and it really helped educate me towards the subject. So from that standpoint, I could see it being a terrific use for any firm if you don't have a dedicated like training program. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that maybe uh, something like Chat GPT can be trained because you can train those things sure. to a specific data set where you train it to a data set that you want for your firm. And give it to give it as a resource to people, an enterprise resource. If you have questions, they ask there first and figure out how to how to provide a question to it. I don't think it will be the panacea that people want. I think the the hope for an AI revolution comes more from an inability to solve the other problem where there's not enough people that are good enough to do the job. And people hope that will solve the problem. Yeah. So that that's in my mind. That may be like the subconscious thing around it. But like I said, I take the human side of that. Well, yeah, and I'm with you on that. Here's where I think AI will help the design industry space because the one issue that I see is the transfer of knowledge, right? You've got a lot of engineers and architects that are getting older, that are exiting the industry, that are retiring, and they're taking with them 35 years, 40 years of industry knowledge, of specific project knowledge. If we can leverage AI and other tools to storytell and to and to capture that knowledge for the next generation or the generations to come, then all of a sudden you kind of have a built-in tool, if you will, to share with the younger generations of design professionals yeah. as they matriculate through their career. Yeah. And the thing is with like a senior technical advisor, they don't even know what they know until they bump up against a situation or you ask them a question. Right. They, there's so much knowledge there. That I don't know how you get it out of their head other than a project experience, yeah. right? Because, yeah, we, we have some, someone in our group that is like that, is, is our senior technical advisor, our senior PM here. But he's like the greatest resource for like complex stakeholder problems, design issues. But like I said, he, he will not be able to, to articulate to you unless you have a question. You have to go, okay, I'm, I'm bumping up against this. What do I do? And he would say, oh, well, we did this there or you, you're going to have to do this. So yeah, if you could get the information out of his head, 
into a, a chat GPT bot and you could ask that thing the question, that would be amazing. It would be amazing. It would be really amazing. Matter of fact, because I know everybody everybody has a Yoda walking around in their office. Yes, yeah. That knows yeah. everything. So, well, man, this has been enlightening, Kyle. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of mm-hmm. your busy schedule to you know, just share with us some of your thoughts. And, and again, I, I want to encourage anybody listening to this to please follow Kyle on LinkedIn. And I'll, I'll put his LinkedIn profile online so that you can kind of see some of his interactions and commentary. I would also encourage you to follow Mark Zweig on LinkedIn as well, because Mark typically will tease out or share his weekly article in the Zweig letter, which he's been writing since 1992, I believe. So that's a long time to have a byline and and to be yeah. writing it. And so, and then to have young upstarts like this, this young man in front of me who is super smart, you know, uh, commenting on that and in such a thoughtful way that really makes you go, hmm. So I would certainly encourage you to check that out and just look at the discourse and dialogue that comes out around those articles and certainly around some of the commentary that Kyle brings to the table, which I think is just, um, it's excellent. So so Kyle, thank you so much. You want to share those books that you mentioned earlier for yeah, the audience? Sure. So, yeah, but I just want to say thank you for inviting me, of course. Absolutely. Uh, this was really great. Thank you for reaching out. The first book is The Lessons of History okay. by Will and Ariel Durant. Okay. And what that book is going to do is that is going to help you figure out where you are, not only in history, but where we are in as a society. Because that book is beautifully written. You, you can read it multiple times. It's a very small book. It's the easiest history book you'll ever read. The second book is Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And at the end of Lessons of History, they give a discourse on is progress real? And in the book Zero to One, he answers that question. Progress is real and it comes in the form of technological advancement. A technological advancement is not the internet was technological advancement, right? Roads are not specifically technological advancement. We are spreading a, a current idea. So that's Zero to One, Peter Thiel. The third book is The Great Bridge by, um, forget the guy's name, David McCullough, okay. Peter McCullough, one of those guys. It's a great bridge. It's the story of the Brooklyn Bridge. It's a thick one. It's going to take you a long time to read. Okay. And I would suggest reading these books slowly. <laughs> uh, don't try to blow through them. They, they require some reflection. So the great bridge is the, the basically the true, as much historical fact as this guy could pull, he put it into that book and the story of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. The next one is Atlas Shrugged. Yes. And the reason I want you to read the Great Bridge is because it's a zero to one move in real life, right? What happens when people actually innovate and do something? And Atlas Shrugged is a fictional telling of what happens when people stop innovating. So at least that's how I ever interpreted the book in my reading of it. Mm-hmm. And then the last book, and Atlas Shrugged is controversial. Yeah. I would say read it and make up your own mind. Sure. Don't listen to what everybody else tells you. If you think it's trash, I'm sorry, but I don't think it's <laughs> And then the, the last book is a book by um, Scott Adams. It's called How to Fail at Everything and Still Still Win Big. Yeah. And he talks about um, creating systems for your life versus goals. It's a really interesting book. Lots of great talents that you can develop there. Lots of good ideas on um, how to think about your health, how to think about your sleep. Just, so those will be the five books that I would give a young engineer. Read those. It may take you a year, a year and a half. And I think that will set you on a, on a great reading trajectory. So I give you an easy one. The first two are easy. Yeah. So the first two are, e- are intentionally easy to get you into the other ones. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. The Lessons of History, Zero to One by Peter Thiel, The Great Bridge by McCullough, Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand, and uh, How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big by Scott Adams. 
definitely picked some good books there and uh, certainly want to encourage folks to check out those books that Kyle has recommended. You could do a lot worse. And uh, certainly, uh, as I always say, you know, you can't have too many books on your nightstand. And that's for sure. So I want to encourage you to continue to take up the mantle of growing yourself and getting better and creating the best version of yourself. And remember, just like what Kyle's has remarked over this last 40 or 50 minutes that we've talked, it's never too late to shoot your shot. And uh, trust me, somebody's always listening. So please, if I can't say I can't say this enough, get out there and let the world hear what you have to say. And Kyle, I certainly appreciate you doing that and putting that into practice on a daily basis. So I wish you nothing but continued success. And I'm going to have to figure out another way to bring you here on the Zweig Letter podcast for another future episode. But I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank, you. Thank you so much. This was fun, sir. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of the Zweig Letter podcast. We really appreciate you checking us out here. Remember, you can find the Zweig Letter at zweiggroup.com. That's the website for Zweig Group. And you can find out about all of the different services that uh, Zweig Group offers. You can subscribe to the Zweig Letter for free. You can subscribe subscribe your whole firm for free and uh, get the Zweig Letter dropped into your inbox in PDF form every Monday morning. And um, just like Kyle does, you can dissect it. You can respond back to Mark. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he will respond to you. So, uh, so that's, <laughs> that, that is a good thing. But anyway, I appreciate you guys listening to this episode. And we'll be back soon with another new episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we will talk with you later. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to the Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.